welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. So we are, uh, we, we talked about last week that we're doing this kind of a sprinkling series that we introduced uh, where we have about like a week or two in between sermon series and how, what are we going to do with those sort of in-between weeks? And we decided, you know what we should do instead of just picking a random text to talk about, let's take kind of some of those core concepts of the faith and talk about them and, you know, kind of things that we assume we know but don't really preach on or talk about, and let's teach on them for those times. So last week we talked about the really easy topic, the Trinity, uh, and this week is a much easier topic, thankfully, but it's a bit different of a topic. Today we're talking about uh, the church calendar and the importance of the church calendar and the purpose of it in the Christian life. And so as we look at the church calendar and as we talk about the church calendar, uh, what does it do? What is its purpose in our lives? Uh, The church calendar is fundamentally about how do we order our lives? What what are the rhythms and patterns and habits of our lives? And there's this uh, graphic up on the screen that I got from Seedbed that I really love. And it sort of shows uh, the purpose and the nature of the church calendar it starts off, uh, today is actually uh, the final day of the Christian calendar, Christ the King Sunday. So, Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> so, we're starting off. So, the right, uh, the very right, you can see the crown representing Christ the King Sunday, which is today, the Sunday before Advent. Next week, we start Advent, which is the beginning of the church calendar. And so, we'll start off on the left, and I'm just going to kind of walk through this graphic for y'all. So Advent is about the coming of Jesus. It's the church calendar is centered around the life and work of Jesus Christ. And you can see it's structured around these sort of three major transformational moments in Christ's life and ministry. So Advent is come Lord Jesus come, inviting Jesus to come into our lives. And it's this descent down from Christ being king down into a manger in Bethlehem. It's about awaiting the coming of Jesus, both as a baby and then also the second coming of Christ where we, where he will come again to judge the living and the dead. That Advent is this waiting for Jesus to come again. And then at the manger, there's this pivot at Bethlehem, Christmas Day, this uh, pivot to Epiphany. And Epiphany is what we call this lead up, uh, Jesus revealing your glory. That Jesus, you've come onto earth, reveal your glory to us. And that season lasts until Ash Wednesday, in which Ash Wednesday, there's another pivot and the pivot goes back down. And Ash Wednesday is a day where we remember that we are people who will one day die. And because we are people who will one day die, we need a Savior to come and solve the problem of death. And so Ash Wednesday begins the season of Lent. It's that 40 days of preparation before Easter. 40 days in Scripture is a, is a time period of purification often as we see. The Israelites wandered the wilderness for 40 days or 40 years as the Lord purified the people of God. Jesus, after his baptism, went out into the desert and fought 
against Satan for 40 days, that there is this time of just uh, preparation that happens over the number 40. And so we take 40 days pre-Easter to prepare ourselves. Lent's a time of journeying down towards the cross with Jesus. Time of repentance and fasting and confession and giving up of these worldly things for heavenly things instead. And then it pivots again on Easter, that Jesus Christ has conquered death and that Jesus Christ has rose again in the resurrection. And so we see this pivot then back upwards in what we'll call Eastertide. It's that period in between Easter and Pentecost, which is usually around 50 days. And it's that upward that Jesus, you have risen from the dead, that Jesus, you are Lord. And then it culminates in Pentecost with the sending of the Holy Spirit where God sends himself to dwell inside of us and comes on us with power and gifts us for the ministry of the church and births the church on Pentecost. And Pentecost is another pivot where we cry out, come Holy Spirit, come. You see that other descending, come Holy Spirit, And then we enter into the season of kingdom tide. There's not really a holiday really for the world, but there's this shift halfway through that where we recognize the brokenness of the world in need of a different kingdom. It's called kingdom tide, that Lord, your kingdom come. Lord, come and build a new kingdom here on this earth. And it's this upward then rise that we'll see in culmination in today of Christ the King Sunday. That, Lord, your kingdom is coming, and you are king of that kingdom. And so you can kind of see this church calendar. It has these rise and falls, this up and down, ascent and descent. So why does it do that? Why do we have these sort of rhythms of life, rhythms of the church calendar that rise and fall? I think one of the reasons the church calendar does that is because it mimics the reality of life that it mimics the reality of human life, that life is not sort of this straight in one move, one emotion life, that life is filled with ups and downs. Life is filled with valleys and mountaintops. Life is filled with the in-betweens. Life is filled where it seems like our lives are spiraling out and then we hit rock bottom. And then once we hit rock bottom, it seems like things start picking back up. And it's this ebb and flow that we see in our own lives and it's reflected in the ways that we interact with God. Look at the bottom there. Darkness and light. We are people who know what it means to live in darkness. We know what it means to be people who have seen the light of Christ. We are people who know what it means to be surrounded by death. We are also people who know what it means to be surrounded by life. We know what it means to live in a broken world. And we await the wholeness of Jesus coming and fixing everything. This idea of this sort of competing, or not competing, these sort of dual tensions that exist within the faith can be found in the prayer book the Psalms. If you want to know how to pray, read the Psalms. The Psalms is the prayer book of God's people. I'm going to read a few, two uh, seemingly competing Psalms. And so how do we reconcile them and how do they fit into the life of the church calendar? The first is going to be Psalm 22. It says, the tune of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One, yet you are the one Israel praises, and you our ancestors put their trust, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out, and they were saved, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads, saying, He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. That's Psalm 22. You may recognize the first part. It's a psalm that Jesus cries out as he's hanging on the cross. Psalm 100 says this, sort of the opposite side of the coin. Shout for the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So here within the book of Psalms, we see kind of these two opposite extremes. We see in Psalm 22, the psalmist crying out in anguish, my God, you have forsaken me. It seems like you are faithful to the people in the past, but in my own life, it seems like you have abandoned me. And where are you, Jesus? Where are you, Lord? And then in Psalm 100, we see kind of the, the mountaintop that I will shout to the Lord with gladness for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. And in the psalm book, in the scripture, in the prayer book of God's people, we see both these highs and lows of the human experience and the highs and lows of human emotion. And what the church calendar does is it recognizes this tension, this this sort of dual reality that we see in scripture, that God is a God who interacts with us in our joy, in our high moments, in the, the ultimate goodness of our life. And he is also there in the pit, in the middle of darkness, and it seems like everything is falling apart. The church calendar looks at scripture and says both are acceptable ways to interact with God. And so we put them within the seasons and the ebbs and flows and the rhythms of our lives. The highs and lows of the church calendar and the highs and lows of scripture lets us enter into a real relationship with God with all of our brokenness and joy that exist within us. I think too oftentimes we have this idea that we're not allowed to take our brokenness to church. That we have to be fully put together in order to enter into the house of the Lord. We even have this phrase, uh, when you go to church on Sunday morning, you put on your Sunday best. That you put on your best clothes. I mean, I don't usually wear this every day. I would hate it if I had to do that. But I do it because it's my Sunday best. I wear this because it represents uh, the image that I want to put forward. And how we often do that with our clothing on Sunday morning, but too oftentimes I think we do that with our hearts and with our souls as well. That we put on this veneer, this, this covering, this everything is fine on the outside, but inwardly we are wasting away. I've heard that 
I've heard some people say that they, they often stay away from the church because of the, the shame and embarrassment of what's going on in their life. When this, I believe, is the exact place that we should feel most comfortable to sit in the house of the Lord and weep over the brokenness of our lives or shout for joy with gladness at what the Lord has done. The highs and lows are meant to be lived out in here together as the body of Christ. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. There was one point in my undergrad, I mentioned this before, where it seemed like my life fell apart. And I went to church the next Sunday, and I was barely holding it together. You know, like when everything's awful and you're like on the brink of tears all the time. Uh, that was me. And uh, it was an Assemblies of God church that I went to in my undergrad. Um, Assemblies of God is kind of a more charismatic expression. And the pastor, every Sunday after a sermon, would say, all right, everyone close your eyes, uh, raise your hand if this is you. And if that was you and you raised your hand, the pastor would say, all right, step out in the aisles and get prayer for. I think I only did that like twice in the three years that I was there. It was something that I was not used to being a good old Methodist. Uh, that Sunday, the pastor said, if you need help, close your eyes, raise your hand. And I was like, well, that sounds pretty much like what I'm going through. And so I raised my hand and I stepped out into the aisle and I just collapsed on the way to the front. I just sat there and I just wept. And my friends came around me and they prayed for me and the prayer team came up and just prayed for me. And I just lost it there in the middle of church, which was right where I needed to be. I didn't care what anyone else thought. I didn't care what they may have said about me because I knew that God met me in my brokenness. And the church calendar says that in the highs and lows of life, we do not need to put on a face to come before God. In fact, there are times, the church calendar says that there are times when life is bad. There are times when we are mourning. There are times when we are waiting. There are times when everything seems to be falling apart. And that's okay because God is there in the middle of it. You may have heard us talk about discipleship bands. Uh, I fully believe that one of the ways that God wants to move in our church and one of the ways that God wants to move in the people called Methodist that we are a part of is that God wants us to band together, to have these real foundational relationships. Our discipleship bands are groups of about three to four same-gendered people where you can come together and live out the reality of what you're going through. Now, if you're living in darkness, you are prayed, prayed for by people. Now, if you're living on a mountaintop, you can exclaim and shout that mountaintop with people and they'll be there with you. These discipleship bands are meant to live this Christian walk and all the, all the messiness, all the darkness, all the joy, all those things that we are not meant to do apart. We live it together in those discipleship bands. 
that's something you're interested in, we, we have those QR codes. I would encourage you, if that's something that the Lord is drawing you to, to sign up for one, to be a part of the family of God and band together. Like I said, today is Christ the King Sunday. Uh, I did have a text. We're running out of time again in this service as well, so I'm just going to kind of summarize the text for you. It's uh, John 18, if you want to go look it up. It's uh, where Jesus and Pilate are having this interaction where uh, Jesus is standing before trial in, the go- in John's gospel, and there's this interesting dynamic of who is the one that's really in charge here. Is it Pilate, the representative of Caesar, representative of political power of the, the culmination, the most powerful Roman government at that time? Is, is that the one that's truly in charge, or is Jesus the one on trial? Is he really the king overall? And there's this interesting battle, there's this power dynamic that is at play here in John 18. And what's, what's really cool is that Jesus says, uh, uh, I'm just going to read it. If we go over, we, if we go, over, we go over. Uh, if you want to have it up on the screens. Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king, Pilate said. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis to charge him. But it is your custom for me to release one of your prisoners to you at this time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. And now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. And when you read that, read, Barabbas was a terrorist. And they shouted, give us Barabbas. Who's really in charge here? Is Jesus in charge? Where does true power lie? With Jesus, the king, on trial before Caesar. And who are we submitting to? We're submitting to the crowd and the calls of the crowd to submit not to Jesus but to Pilate. Are we submitting to the kingship of Jesus or are we trying to be the king of our own lives? Am I the one that's in control? I'm the one who determines the direction of my life, not Jesus. You know, in proclaiming the kingship of Christ, I love that in the church calendar we do this at the very end of the year. Like I said, Happy New Year. We do this at the very end of the year. And I love that because when we think about this term submitting to Jesus as king or making Jesus king of our lives, uh, we might like curl back. I mean, we're all good red-blooded Americans here. Uh, We don't really like kings, do we? We're not really fans of kings. And so this idea of voluntarily making Jesus our king, it kind of makes us recoil. But what I love is because this is at the end of the church year, we look backwards about all that this king has done for us. That this king leaves his throne in heaven and comes down to a manger in Bethlehem and lives as a poor working class person. 
that this king goes and lives and spreads the message of the kingdom. And this king goes and willings and suffers and dies and experiences immense amount of shame by dying a death of a terrorist, by dying the death of a slave on a Roman cross because he loves us. And it's through that humiliation that the Lord brings redemption to us. And that he rose again. And he sends his Holy Spirit to us. And he tells us of a new kingdom that is coming. That this king, who is willing to do all of this for us because of his love for us, that king who displays all the grace, all his love, all his mercy throughout the church here, that king is one who is worthy to submit to. Worthy is the lamb that was slain, as the book of Revelation says. A king who enters into our darkness, dies our death, and redeems our brokenness. Are we submitting to Christ as king? Have we made him our king, or do we simply want Jesus as a nice accessory in our lives? Someone that we just come to when we're in need, or are we submitting everything to Jesus? Submitting our time, submitting our priorities, submitting our lives. Are we so submissive to Jesus that when he says, hey, I want you to go and have that difficult conversation with them about me. I know it'll be uncomfortable, but I want you to go do it. Are we saying, yes, Jesus, you are my king? Or are we saying, no, Lord, I don't want to do that. That's uncomfortable. That's weird. I don't want to do that. Have we truly submitted our lives to King Jesus? I love this quote by John Calvin. He says this, Until men feel that they owe everything to God, that they are cherished by his paternal care, that he is the author of all their blessings, so that nothing is to be looked for away from him, they will never submit to him in voluntary obedience. Unless they place their entire happiness in him, they will never yield up their whole selves to him in truth and sincerity. That unless we know the story of God, which we make it a point to tell every year in the church calendar, until we know the story of God's love for us, we will truly never make him king of our lives. I love what Ryan did until we know that God loves me, that God died for me. We will never submit to him as king. And that's what the church calendar is. It's telling the story about how much Jesus loves us, how much Jesus loves you, how much he shows how much he loves you. We're about to begin the season of Advent. Season of Advent is a season of longing, season of waiting, a season of anticipation, a season where we cry out to the Lord, how long, Jesus? It's a time where we see a light in the middle of darkness. If you have that uh, graphic up on the screen again. It's a time of light in the middle of darkness, a season where we feel free to cry out in the middle of our darkness, Lord, where are you? I would encourage us this Advent season, which is the the next four Sundays leading up to Christmas, to embrace the downward journey to the manger. To embrace the downward journey to the manger. That may be fasting. 
maybe spending a time of repentance. It may be doing a new habit, but just embrace the downwardness, the, the descent down to the manger. As we tell the story of a God, of a king, who leaves his throne on heaven and descends down to us to take on human flesh. That as we submit to the king, we tell the story of the son submitting to human flesh for our sake. Of he who enters into our darkness and sits alongside of us. I'm going to invite the communion stewards up as I I want to close with the story. Uh, There's a friend of mine who's going through a really, really rough time right now. And me and Erica were praying for him. And Erica has the the gift of prophecy, which is uh, the Lord will give her uh, specific words or specific images about uh, what that person's going through as encouragement. And she said that she was praying for this person and the Lord gave her this image. Uh, Have you ever been in the waiting room with a child and they're about to get like a shot? And what, the, what do you do? You offer the child your hand. You say, why don't you squeeze my hand as hard as you can so that way you're focusing so much on squeezing my hand that you're not paying attention to the shot that you're getting. That the Lord gave her this image of my friend sitting there and Jesus was offering him his hand and the invitation was squeeze my hand as hard as you can in the middle of your darkness. Hold on to me. Focus on to me. Give everything over to me. Give your emotions, your doubts, everything over to Jesus. I believe Jesus extends that invitation to us as well. In the middle of our darkness, know that there is light in the form of a baby, in the form of a God who takes on human flesh and comes and sits with us in our darkness. Praise be to God. Amen. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he was with his friends. He took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. After his supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you, Father. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by your blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until we feast in your heavenly banquet, now and forever. As we pray the prayer that your Son taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.